Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. And I'm telling you right now, I believe like never before, and I'm, I'm going to be very serious tonight because I believe like never before that there is an urgency happening in the body of Christ. I have prayed and I have cried out saying, Lord, where is the urgency in your body? Where is the urgency in the preachers today? Where is the urgency in the prophets today? I look at popular preachers and popular evangelists, and I'm saying, Lord, who is crying out with an urgency? I know some of you might say, Isaiah, the veins stick out, and you're shouting, and you're jumping in your office. Isaiah, does it take all that? Do you have to be so passionate and radical and shouting and talking so fast guys you have to understand it's not just passion and excitement but there is an urgency when we preach God's word I've been feeling it and I want to share this with you guys that I feel like the alarm is going off I feel like the time is ticking that I'm, I'm hearing the sound of a clock kick ticking down and if you have eyes to hear I mean ears to hear and eyes to see then you know that everything we're seeing right now with the civil unrest right now with the coronavirus and everything going on in our world it is a sign to the body of Christ that we are in an urgent hour and not now is not the time to be playing games. There needs to be an urgency in the church to pray. There needs to be an urgency in the church to preach with the power of God. There needs to be an urgency, and we're going to talk about this tonight, to break our idols. There needs to be an urgency to get alone with God. I want you to ask yourself this tonight. Is there an urgency in me to get in the place of prayer? Like, do I wake up and say, there is an urgency for me to pray today? There is an urgency for me to read. I can't keep pushing it off. I can't, you know, after this show, after the series, once I finish season five, I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to fast. Guys, there has to be an urgency to say, I'm going to remove all the clutter out of my life. Come on, where are the forerunners at? I'm going to remove all the clutter out of my life. And I'm going to say, Lord, I need an urgency. I need you to pray this. And I'm asking the Lord this tonight. God, give me a supernatural urgency. If I were just to go to an average church on Sunday morning, if I visited 10 churches, I would be hard pressed to find a preacher that would get up and take the microphone with an urgency in his spirit to say, guys, we don't have time to play games. We don't have time to build more fancy churches and fancy pastors and plastic preaching and plastic plastic altar calls. We need the authentic and we need the real. We need to hear the sound of the alarm. I'm telling you right now, the power of God, and I know many people are not gonna tell you this, guys, and I feel the fear of the Lord tonight, but you have to understand this principle that most people don't know. The power, the mercy, the grace, and all the blessings that God has for us and everything God is doing will not always be there. I think we always think that, well, the grace will always be there. The mercy will always be there. The fire will always be there. The anointing will always be there. And so I could kind of just wait and live my life how I want to live it because God will always be there when I feel like I'm good and ready. As if God's just kind of, we have this picture of God's kind of just waiting. And when we get done with our careers and we get done chasing the American dream and we get done raising our kids, we get done chasing, you know, this or that or drinking or partying or whatever we want to do. I think a lot of you think, well, I could just go to God at any time. I've had this thought, and I know this is very popular, but I was just reading as the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55 says, you need to seek the Lord. Guys, listen loud and clear and share this stream tonight. You need to seek the Lord while you can find him. You need to call on him while he is near. And he says, let the wicked turn to the Lord that he might have mercy on them. The prophet Isaiah is telling us this biblical principle that there is a window or a time where God can be found, but under 
understand something, guys. I'm telling you, I feel the fear of the Lord right now. There is a time where that window is going to be shut and that space of time is over and it's game over for America. America has a window right now to cry out to God. America has a window right now to pray. God is not always going to be there. The Bible says, I know this goes against your little nice American church Jesus, but you got to understand that the Bible says the spirit of God will not always strive with man. Isaiah, what does it mean? It means there comes a point where God says enough is enough. I can't keep walking with your compromise. I can't keep walking with all this abortion and racism and anger and bitterness and the divorce rates and the alcohol rates and the drug rates. At what point does God say enough is enough? I can't keep walking with your compromise. There is a time where the Lord shuts the window. There's a time where the door of the ark closes and the Bible says we're going to be outside knocking on the door saying, Lord, let us in. And the Lord goes, it's too late. Guys, if you're listening, there's 500 of you right now. Listen to me, what I'm saying loud and clear right now. You have the ability right now in this moment to cry out for mercy. You have the ability to right now to say, God, I need your touch. I need your power. I need your anointing. But understand that this opportunity that you have to cry out, this opportunity that you have to praise and to worship is fleeting. That means it's not always going to be here. There's going to come a time where the Lord shuts the door of the ark. And Isaiah is saying, you may be an unbeliever. This might be your first time in the stream. This might be the second time you stream. And you're kind of like, oh, whatever, you know, church is boring. God is boring. And there's no urgency, no death inspiration in you and really honestly let's be honest you don't really take even what I'm saying serious I mean you get excited but you think maybe when I'm 30 when I'm 40 but friend what you don't realize is God will not always be available there comes a time where you won't be able to pray there comes a time where you won't be able to seek him have you read your Bible that when they were in a famine for the word of God people were starving and dying and searching because they couldn't find a place for God to speak that God began to go silent on the nation and on the country and I'm telling you right now, friend, you have to understand that God is going to be unavailable in the coming days as judgment begins to break out on the earth. And I know no one's going to tell you this, but now is the time because I know we're going to look back and say, man, I should have listened when that preacher said I could have called out to God when the grace was there, when the mercy was there. This is what Isaiah was telling us. It's like when you call that number, every one of us has done this. We have an old friend that we haven't talked to in years and we go to their old number and we call that number up and it gives you that beep, beep, beep. And it says the person you're called or trying to reach is no longer available or the number's been changed or is out of service. Friend, understand there's going to come a day where you call upon the Lord and you're going to hear that dial tone that says it's uh, this person you're trying to reach is unavailable. There is an opportunity and a window now for us to pray in a crowd. This is why blind Bartimaeus said, son of David had son of David have mercy on me. Why? Not because Jesus was deaf. That's not why blind Bartimaeus was shouting, but he didn't want his window to pass him by. He didn't want God to walk by. And once God passed him by, he was no longer available. And my cry and my prayer right now is Lord, don't pass America by. Lord, have mercy on America. Have mercy on my family. Have mercy on this nation. 70 plus million babies murdered. The bloodshed, the 
pornography crisis as a nation, the sex slavery industry as a nation right now, the abuse and the divorce, every few seconds, another suicide, every few seconds, another rape in our country, every few seconds, another abortion, another murder, another family split up. Right now there's rioting happening throughout our country, another husband or another father gone to unnecessary violence. And the Bible tells us that we have created and we create new ways to sin, guys. We have invented as a nation new ways to sin. And I'm telling you right now, it's time to get back to the God of the Bible. If you look at all this darkness happening, the crimes and the murders and the things covering the earth, and you think God is asleep, you know, God's not going to judge. God's going to, you know, wink his eye. God's indifferent. I want to tell you tonight that our God is not indifferent. I want to tell you tonight that our God is an active God. Come on, guys. You got me already losing my voice. And I just started. Our God is not a far off God. When God sees these, um, th- these riots and God sees the race, the racism issue and God sees the abortion issue and God sees the sex slavery, God says this, I will act on these issues that just because judgment is delayed, it does not mean judgment is denied. And I'm telling you, if God really is going to judge, which the Bible says he will, I wonder what America is in for guys when judgment comes. I wonder when that judgment builds up and God begins to judge our nation as God did throughout the Bible. This Jesus that doesn't judge nations is an unbiblical Jesus. Our God judges nations for sin and the only thing holding back i believe the judgment of god is the prayers of the righteous the only thing that's going to change anything is the prayers of the righteous right now the devil is running our country and i'm telling you we need a wake-up call come on somebody help me preach up here in the chat we need to stop listening to dead churches and what what dead pastors have to say about god and we need to cry out mercy 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 god forgive us isaiah what should my corporate cry be it should be god have mercy on us the bible says that why do the wicked prosper but the right righteous don't and it seems that way that the wicked are prospering in the natural but you have to understand that there is a great catastrophe and calamity that far outweighs the coronavirus that is coming upon the earth and if you're content with just playing church if you're content with not being desperate if you're content with staying where you are you're going to miss what god is saying right now in this hour the church desperately guys listen to me tonight i'm telling you the church i'm crying out tonight is a night of cry out thank you for all the happy birthdays but guys i'm telling you tonight is a night where i am crying out for a generation like i have never cried out before i am pleading with you like i've never pleaded with you before the church desperately pastors listen to me tonight they desperately need their eyes open we are so blinded as the church by this culture we are so blinded by the american dream and blinded by our buildings and blinded by our skinny jeans and our cool clothes that we have lost track of what we were called to do we have been given the ministry of reconciliation we have been called to be intercessors and to stand on the wall and say not on my watch like that like the people pleaded lord if you could just find a few righteous please don't destroy the city you got to be like abraham saying lord i got family in the city god i got family that aren't saved right now lord hold back judgment we cannot wait around till judgment breaks out and then try to ask god to hold back judgment now is the time to say lord have mercy on america if you are a pastor i know there's a lot of pastors watching right now if you are a pastor and you are watching this you need to get before your congregation and say all right guys for 10 minutes we're going to cry out 
We're going to get on our knees. We're going to get on our faces. We're going to humble ourselves. And we're going to ask for the mercy of God to break out. We're going to seek the Lord while we can. Pastors, what would happen if your congregation got, what, saw you get on your face? Pastors, what would happen if your congregation saw you got on your knees and begin to cry out to God and say, I don't have it all together. I know that I'm on the stage and everybody thinks I'm this, I'm thinks I'm that, but I am naked before God in prayer. And I need to cry out and I need to get vulnerable. And I need to say, Lord, forgive me. We need wailing back. We need intercession back. We need prayer back. We need to cry back in the church. We need a desperation, guys. I feel it tonight on the inside of me. We need to cry like Isaiah had that said, Lord, open up the heavens, violently rend the heavens, tear open the heavens, and let your kingdom come. God wants to show up. Guys, listen to me. God wants to show up, share the stream, but God can't show up without a vehicle. God is looking for vehicles to use. God is looking for people to empower and Isaiah chapter 59 he goes on few chapters later and says there is only one thing that shocks God there is nothing in the Bible that shocks God but this one thing it didn't shock God when Adam turned on him it didn't shock God when Eve ate the fruit it didn't shock God when Judas sold him out there is only one place in the Bible that the uh, the all-knowing God the one that declared the end from the beginning says I'm actually shocked about this one thing. And this is what Isaiah says he's shocked about, that there was no intercessor, that when he looked at the racism, come on guys, you better help me, that when he looked at the abortion, that when he looked at the sex trafficking, when he looked at the people taking advantage of the poor, when he looked at the people that were getting robbed by the government, when he looked at the people that were under the oppression and the hand of Pharaoh and darkness and were being crushed down by the enemy and were literally being sold, his God's people were being sold as slaves in Egypt. God says, I looked down and I saw all the calamity and I saw all the darkness and I knew see God already knew the answer to all this the answer was the intercessors guys there is a the thing about racism and abortion all these issues that we're fighting for they can't be changed in the natural realm come on somebody needs to hear me they can't be changed in the natural realm there is no legislator or president or person or person in the Oval Office that could change the demon of racism racism is a demonic spirit now, things might begin to change, legislation might pass, but you got to understand, when legislation passes, when laws get passed, for instance, when they ban late-term abortion, you might look at that and say, wow, thank, thank those judges for banning late-term abortion. Understand this, it wasn't the judges that banned late-term abortion, it was that demonic spirit being broken, and then banning it was a result that that spirit no longer had power. Come on, somebody better help me tonight. You have to understand that everything that happens in the natural has to first happen in the spiritual you want to know how we're going to break racism and i'm so against it more than anybody here it's in the place of prayer it is the intercessors this is what god said god says when i look at the calamity i realize the problem is there's no intercessors the reason and guys we have failed america i'll be the first to say i'm a pastor i'm a preacher i represent the body of christ in america this is the honest to god truth with no pastor is going to tell you the american church has failed america we have failed in the place of prayer we have failed in the place of marriage we have failed in the place of sexual immorality we have failed in the place of driving out demons let me say that again we have failed in the place of laying hands on the sick we have failed in the place of living godly lives and teaching people how to walk holy we as a nation have failed i mean we have the body of christ we have failed this nation and i'm telling you right now god is looking for somebody and i wonder if there is anybody in here tonight that says i understand the 
only way to break this demonic power is in the place of prayer. Stop, listen, stop posting stuff if you're not willing to pray about it. I want to post and I want to share and I'm glad we're raising awareness over all the issues happening, but don't post something if you're not willing to pray. A lot of us are quick to run to social media, but I wonder how quick we are to run to the throne of God because here's the reality. Your Facebook post is not going to change a demonic issue. Come on, somebody. Your Facebook post is not going to end abortion. It's going to be when you get on your face and realize you have access into heavenly realms. You have access to break demonic powers. You have access by prayer. That is why when the angel came to Daniel, he said, Daniel, I'm fighting the prince of Persia. What happened a couple chapters later? The people got set free. Was it the government that set them free? Was it the Nate? No, it was the demon got broken and now they were able to receive freedom. I hear the sound of a mighty prayer movement rising up. I hear the sound of some forerunners. I hear the sound of some men and women of God that say, we're going to raise up as prophets, as apostles, as evangelists, as intercessors. We need to be honest. The church has failed America, but I hear the dry bones rattling tonight. I hear God raising up a mighty army. I hear the Lord saying it's time for the Joshua's to raise up. Come on, somebody better hear me tonight. It's time for the Ezekiel's to raise up. It's time for the young Jeremiah's to raise up. That the Lord is going to begin to touch your lips and give you a word. The Lord is going to begin to touch you your lips and give you the fire. I hear the Lord saying, I'm getting ready to turn your lips into a mighty trumpet. I'm getting ready to sound the alarm in our generation. No more baby tickle me Elmo Jesus. No more nice, cute, sanitized church. It's time that our churches begin to be places of warfare. It's time that we begin to train people to fight the battle. America, I want to tell you that I am sorry that we have failed you, but get ready because the Lord says that seek me while I can be found and God is getting ready to give the church a divine extension. God says that we've been running out of time, but if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, I would hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal the land. There is a healing wave getting ready to come. I speak healing over America. I speak healing over the body of Christ. I say abortion is not okay. I say racism is not okay. I say anxiety is not okay. Divorce is not okay. The sexual immorality in the church is not okay. The Lord is cleansing and washing his bride and it's time that we get back to where God has called us to be and that is the place of prayer. When the church wanders out of the place of prayer, they lose their power. The the church's job is not to be out rioting. It's to be in the place of prayer. It's to be in the prayer closet. We need to fight this thing in the spirit. We need to call upon the Lord in the spirit. We need the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need to get back to our first love. We need to get back to Jesus. Jesus is the only one that could heal. He's the only one that can save. This is why in Jeremiah chapter two, the prophet rises up and says, I remember you. You've lost your love. Listen to me, church. I remember how eager you were when you first got saved. I remember how passionate you were when you first got saved. I remember how excited you were. He says, you used to love me and follow me. 
And then the Lord says this in chapter two, what did your ancestors, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight, I'm about to jump up in this on this desk. He says, what did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far away from me? He says that they worshiped worthless idols. You better listen to me tonight. Help me share this stream. They worshiped worthless idols. And the Bible says in turn, they became worthless themselves. He says, I remember the time that you were passionate. He goes, but somewhere down the line, you must have found something wrong with me because you no longer want to cry out to me. You no longer want to pray. You no longer are desperate. So what did I do wrong? Ask God, ask yourself that question. What did God do so wrong that you no longer have a desire to pray the way that you used to? What did God do that is so wrong that you no longer have a passion for his word and a passion to pray and a passion to fast? What did God do? Did God change or did you change? See, God is saying, did I do something wrong? Why are you casual now? Why aren't you hungry anymore? Why did your heart stop burning for me? What led you to stray so far from me? And the Lord is calling you saying, son and daughter, it's time to come home. I have anointed you. I have called you to get in the place of prayer and to pray. And Jeremiah says this, you worship worthless idols. And this is what happens when you worship worthless idols, which I'm telling you, we're all doing, okay? Including me, we're all worshiping worthless idols. He says, when you worship worthless idols, here's the sign. You yourselves become worthless. We have a worthless Christianity in America. What, wait, what are you calling me? Worthless? Yes, the word worthless is of no value. And guys, listen to me very closely. Our calling and our assignment is to bring value to the world. The Bible says that we are the salt of the earth. We give life and flavor to the world. And if we're not giving them life, here's what your Bible says, then we are worthless. We are salt that is worthless if we're not bringing life to the world. And because we've worshiped idols, we've become ineffective as the body of Christ. We've become ineffective in delivering people. Come on, somebody. We've become ineffective in praying for the sick. We've become ineffective in prophesying people's destinies. We have become worthless believers, believers that are calm, believers that are stagnant. And I'm reading all your comments, believers that are dead on the inside. And the Lord says the problem and the reason why we're worthless is because you will become what you worship. If you worship success, you will become that. If you worship idols, you become that. And idols produce idol believers. The idleness right now in the body of Christ, if you don't know what idol is, it means you're just sitting still. If you're cars on idle, you start your car and you're in neutral. Idle is being in neutral. You're sitting there, you're making noise, but you're not going anywhere. And the idle issue in the church, the biggest issue is that we are idle as the body of Christ. And Jeremiah is giving us the key to unlocking and to producing fruit. And he says this, it's all about your idols is that you're worshiping other gods. You're worshiping other lovers. That is why Paul in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says, went into Athens and Paul saw the uprest in the city, idols everywhere. And Paul did not go to the mayor. Paul did not go to the president. You hear me loud and clear tonight. When Paul saw the civil unrest and the idols in Athens, Paul did not go to the government to try to bring change. The Bible says that Paul went to the synagogue and began to reason with them. Why would Paul go to the synagogue? Because Paul understood the spiritual atmosphere and temperature and climate of a nation and a city is in the hands of 
of the synagogue, is in the hands of the believers, as in the hands of the body of Christ. It is in our hands. The future of America does not sit in the White House. It sits in God's house. The future of this nation and the nations of the world are in the hands of the intercessor, and it's the church that is responsible for this world. You have to understand this something, that there are people worshiping, bowing down before all types of idols, and you say, well, I don't worship idols, and just because they don't look like the idols in the Bible, it doesn't mean they're not idols, because the idols went from, in the Bible, being golden calves, wooden rams, half men, half fish statues, but now our idols are cars that we drive in, our idols are entertainment that we watch, our idols are music that we listen to, our idols are boyfriends, girlfriends, wives and husbands and children, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Hulu, Netflix, YouTube, I could go on. These are now the modern day idols and what you have to understand is although your idols have changed appearance, they are still idols and it is time to break the idols. It is time to say, God, tonight is my night to get delivered. I need fresh revelation daily. I need fresh encounter daily. I'm not going to walk in a life of dominion if every single week I'm falling into the same sins. That is why some of you, which tonight I'm going to talk about deliverance. Some of you need constant deliverance is because you're constantly falling into the same sin and going back and worshiping the same idols. But the Lord says, I'm getting ready to release an idol breaker anointing. I'm getting ready to break idols in the body of Christ. I'm getting ready to release a fresh fire. I'm getting ready to release a fresh anointing. Somebody needs to hear me tonight. Don't sit back and say, oh, this is cute. No, there is an urgency that God is releasing something fresh in the body of Christ, that the American church has failed America. But America, listen to me tonight. Give us one more chance because there's a new remnant rising up. There's some forerunners and some young people in the chat tonight that say, we're not going to be like our ancestors. Our ancestors found fault with you, Lord, but we have not found fault with you. We're going to stay up all night in prayer. We're going to cry out all night long. We're going to burn the midnight oil. We're going to put away the compromises. Lord, we are going to seek you first. Our, our ancestors in the last generation, I love y'all. I know you're up in the chat, but at some point they begin to worship idols. They begin to chase after success. It became a priority to them, but the Lord is saying success will no longer be your priority, but I'm getting ready to be your priority in the body of Christ. It's time for somebody to ask the Lord for fresh encounter on a daily basis. This is why the people had to get fresh and manna every day. Moses said, do not try to save the manna for the next day. You need fresh manna every single day to survive. You will not survive. Hear me tonight. You will not survive without fresh manna on a daily basis. See what happened was the people were lazy and they didn't want to get in their word. They didn't want to get in prayer. They wanted to save the manna and then try to eat it throughout the week. So they didn't have to go get new manna or seek new manna. And the Bible says, that the manna began to rot, stink, and get worms. And it was the father's job to gather manna for the family. You have to understand that your situation probably stinks because you've not been gathering fresh manna. There is a massive problem when you hear the word of God on Sunday morning and then you spend all week long trying to live off the word that you heard on Sunday morning. Guys, I love that you're here. I love every single one of you. I appreciate all the people that are in here tonight. But you 
You can't have Isaiah Saldivar be the one that you live off of where you're surviving from Tuesday to Friday to Tuesday, waiting for a fresh word when God says, I've given you access to gather manna on a daily basis. Manna will only last you one day. So what does that mean? It means I got to wake up every day and say, Lord, I know that there's fresh manna today. I know that there's fresh provision today. Beloved, have you, you don't know how many times I have preached in 10 years. I've preached thousands of times and I can't tell you how many times I said, Lord, and this is being honest and transparent. I've read my Bible and said, Lord, I don't even know what to preach because I've preached every New Testament story. I don't think there's one story in the New Testament that I haven't preached a message on in the last 10 years of preaching over a thousand times. But every time I open up my Bible, like I'm sharing tonight, every time I begin to read the word of God every single day, the Lord says, Isaiah, but you got to understand that my manna is fresh every single day that you can't live. Pastors, Oh, you better listen to me tonight. Some of you lazy pastors, listen to me real loud and clear. You cannot live off of the manna that you had last year. I'm grateful you had a great sermon series. Praise the Lord. But it's time to get some fresh manna. It's time to get a fresh word from God. It's time to gather up the manna. That is why there's a fight for you to get in the word. The enemy does not want you to read the Bible. The enemy does not want you to worship, does not want you to pray. He knows that when you get the manna, demonic power, are broken. I'm telling you, the enemy, the Bible says, comes as an angel of light. He's not stupid. The enemy is not in our churches with a trench coat. He's in our churches with a three-piece suit preaching a partial gospel. The enemy's in the choir, in the worship team, and the believers. The enemy is prowling around as an angel of light. The devil's not dumb. He knows that you're not going to say yes to witchcraft. So what he does is he puts it into a kid's cartoon. Come on, somebody. The devil knows that you're not going to go to a tarot card reader so he puts the magic in your favorite show the devil knows you're not going to go to a fortune teller so he puts it in your favorite Hollywood movie he knows that you're not going to say yes to adultery the enemy's not going to come and tempt you with adultery he knows that you're not dumb so what does he do he puts adultery in a song that you'll listen to and now that's the way that he's getting it inside your life the enemy comes as an angel of light and he's disguised himself and the church because we don't have eyes and we're not spiritual, we have allowed the enemy to come into our churches. Come on, somebody. We've allowed the enemy behind our territory. We've allowed the enemy behind our wall, and the enemy is wreaking all-out havoc in America right now, not just in the in the world, but also in the church. And there is little to nobody standing up and saying, does anybody else see that the enemy is prowling all around? But what do we do instead? Instead of exposing the enemy, we cover the enemy. And we have a bunch of weak pastors that have no backbone, and I said it, and I'm not ashamed to say it. A bunch of weak pastors with no backbone that are walking around saying, oh, the enemy can't do this and isn't doing this, and meanwhile, the enemy wreaks all-out havoc in our families, all-out havoc in our churches, all-out havoc in our marriages, and everybody sits silently by talking about five steps to your better life and how to expand your business, and the Lord is saying it's time to go to war. I'm saying it, and I'm blowing the trumpet like never before tonight. The enemy is in our camp and it's time to kick him out. I'm not okay with people being demonized in our churches. I'm not okay with preaching to demons and them being comfortable. I'm not okay with people being sick and depressed and killing themselves and then doing a funeral and saying, well, another person in our church took their life. Where were the believers to stand up? Where was the pastor to stand up and said, this is my flock and I'm watching my sheep and devil, you are not 
not going to come up in this house. Come on, somebody needs to tell the enemy, you are not about to come up in this house and try to trick me with movies. You're not about to come up in this house and try to trick me with shows. He's disguising himself to get into our lives, but understand the enemy has disguised himself and the enemy has gotten into our churches. And this is not just the principle I'm talking about. This is a biblical principle and a biblical story in Luke 13. The Bible says on the Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching on a synagogue, there was a woman at the church that was crippled by a demonic spirit and was bent over for 18 years. Friend, you have to understand that this was a person inside the church that was crippled for years by the enemy. And the greatest lie of our day and the greatest lie we've created as pastors and is that the enemy can't come and afflict, come and attack those that are inside the church. And this is because of lazy pastors that don't want to deal with church issues. You can't be afflicted. You can't be attacked. You can't be oppressed. You can't be struggling now that you're saved. So now here's what happens. Let me break this down. We have people in the church that are dealing with porn. We have people in the church that are dealing with anger. We have people in the church that are dealing with anxiety, dealing with demonic desires, dealing with demonic thoughts, dealing with sickness that's sometimes demonic, dealing with thoughts of Version, dealing with thoughts of suicides and depression and they don't know what to do come on tell me if I'm preaching the truth tonight they don't know what to do because we tell them oh don't worry the devil can't mess with you now I'm not a type of preacher that preaches how strong the devil is but I know this that if we open up a door the devil will come through and I know the devil has as much power as we give him and as the body of Christ we are giving the enemy a whole lot of power by the idols that we are worshiping and the and the Christless Jesus that we are preaching friend you have to understand something. You have to understand the reality that the enemy wants to mess with the believer. The enemy does not need to mess with the unsaved. He already has them. He just wants to mess with the believer. He wants to take your desire and your hunger for God. And I'm telling you right now, the Bible says when the demons go out and they look for refuge and find none, here's what the Bible says. They come back to their house and they see that the house is swept and in order, but the house is not full of Jesus. And Jesus says, this is the sign and this is how this generation is. In other words, demons get cast out or they go out of our lives, but we don't fill our lives with Jesus. Now, listen to me. I'm not talking about filling your Sunday morning with Jesus. Some of you say, wow, the devil can't access my life because I go to church. The devil's not concerned with what you do for an hour on Sunday morning. He wants to know, is your life filled with Jesus? The way the enemy gets in is when our life is not full and when our home is empty. Now, here's what you got to do. I don't know about you, but I take things personal. When I read my Bible and I read that the devil leaves my house and then comes back, and I read that the devil calls me his home, when the devil says, I will live in this person, I will live with this person. I will influence this person. I'm going to change this person's minds and their desires. Some of you are too easy for the devil to own. And every Saturday night, you've been having you've been having an open house for demons to come and dwell. Let me say that again. You've been having open houses every Saturday night, letting the enemy come in and check out your house. But I'm telling you right now, I am not okay with the devil calling me his property. You need to stop putting yourself up for sale all the time and say, devil, I'm not your property. I am not your home. I am not your dwelling place. Do not, don't you dare call me your property, Satan. Don't you dare call me your home, Satan. I'm telling you, the devil, you have to say, I am no longer a house for darkness. I am a house for the Holy Spirit. I am a temple for God. See, you have to understand there are many people like this girl in Luke chapter 13 that are in the church that are crippled by evil spirits. Notice the Bible says she was crippled by an evil spirit because crippled people can't 
function the way God intended it for them to function. That's why we're going to see crippled people all throughout the Bible. It's not just talking about physical. Crippled people can't walk normal. Crippled people can't act normal. Crippled people can't do what everybody else does. They always need somebody. Listen to me loud and clear tonight. Crippled people always need somebody to carry them. They always need someone to assist them in their walk. They always need someone to pray for me and to counsel me and to be there for me. If you're like that and you're always depending on your pastor, you're always depending on another minister. You're always depending on another believer. You're always depending on someone to pray for you and to fast for you. Then there might be an evil spirit that is crippling you like it's crippling her. You have to get to a place. Now, listen, this is the main key you have to understand tonight. You tonight have to be wanted, have to want to get set free more than I want you to get set free. Believe me, I wouldn't be up. I wouldn't be sweating in 105 degree weather. I wouldn't be shouting. I wouldn't be going crazy and streaming for an hour hour and a half to three hours twice a week if I wasn't serious about your deliverance but you have to get to a place where you say I want my deliverance more than Isaiah wants my deliverance are you hearing me tonight I want my freedom more than Isaiah wants my freedom I am done letting this addiction cripple my prayer life I'm done letting this anger cripple my personality I'm done letting this anxiety come on somebody needs to help me up in here I'm done letting this anxiety cripple my family I'm done letting this depression cripple my soul social life. I'm done letting the enemy cripple my walk. I want to ask you tonight, what has been crippling your walk? What has been hindering you, the Lord is saying, from going to the next level? Because I'll tell you this, it is not God holding you back. It is God saying, run daughter, run son. I've called you to run the race. I've not called you to limp. I've not called you to be crippled. I have called you to run the race that has been set before you. And people will spend years in the church Yo, I'm not preaching to the world tonight. I'm preaching about inside the church. People will spend years inside the church crippled with one issue. How many people know that one person that you've known for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and every week at the altar, it's the same thing I'm dealing with when I was 14. I got addicted to this, and I'm, I'm, I'm going, you're 45 years old. How many years are you going to be crippled by what that guy said about you? How many years are you going to be crippled by what the last church did to you? How many years are you going to be crippled by that layoff or that disappointment or that miscarriage? It's time now. I know the life is full of disappointments. I've been through all the disappointments, but understand, I'm not going to let nothing cripple me. I'm not going to let nothing hinder my walk. I want to get delivered. I'm tired of being crippled. There's a thousand things in my life holding me back. Some of you, let me tell you what's crippling. You have too much stuff. Your life is too cluttered. Your life is too complicated. There are too many voices. If you're soft, this would be a good place to click off. There are too many voices and there are too many friends and there are too many people. Oh, I'm getting ready to preach to y'all right here. There are too many people in your circle that are trying to talk you out of the fire of God. Well, brother Isaiah, and don't, and don't even write me this. Oh, well, I had a friend. I watched your demon thing and I loved your casting out demons videos and I want to start doing deliverance on people and I want to start praying more and I want to start praying in the Holy Spirit and I want to start laying hands on the sick but I had a friend that told me that none of this is real so here's my message reply to you okay because you have a whole bunch of messages in my inbox asking me this my answer to you is dump 
your friend. Wait, what did you just say? I said my answer to that friend that's trying to talk you out of the gospel is to dump them. I want to tell some of you now, this is a fresh revelation, and some of you have never, ever heard this, but do you know that it's possible to dump your friends? Some of you thought that you could only dump a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but no, you can actually dump your friends, and I want to prophesy to somebody, and I got this in prayer today, the Lord is saying, do not let toxic people try coming and crippling you and hindering you. Tonight, somebody needs to dump one of their friends or all of their friends and say, there is too much clutter. There is too much noise. There is too much this in my life. I'm dumping you. I'm sorry, but you can lose my number because I'm not letting anybody talk me out of a move of God. I'm not letting anybody talk me out of God's destiny. Now understand this woman's crippled. I'm painting you the picture here. And she's been in church or in religion. She's 18 years crippled and religion has never healed her. Friend, religion is one of the most crippling things that there is. And I'll tell you why. Because religion will keep you coming to church for years, but never actually change you. Isaiah, will you please say that again for somebody in the back? I would love to. Religion will keep you coming to church for years, but never actually change you. Here's this lady for 18 years, never been able to stand up straight, yet been in church and keeps coming and keeps showing up, but never received her healing. So what was different about tonight or today than any other day? The difference was that Jesus was in the house. Friend, I'm telling you right now, the difference was Jesus was present. Maybe religion didn't heal her. Maybe religion didn't have power, but there was a supernatural God named Jesus whose presence heals and changes everything everything. I remember going to church saying, I've been to church a whole bunch of times for 19 years, but all of a sudden I remember my sister telling me, Isaiah, the church I'm inviting you to, you're going to feel something you've never felt before. I said, I don't believe it. I've never felt God. And I remember walking through the door of that church and feeling the presence of God for the first time and saying, now I know what God feels like. I'm going to say something bold. If you're going to a church and not experiencing the presence of Jesus, why are you even going to church? Understand pastors and leaders listen to me. I know there's lots of you in here tonight because you text me earlier. You're going to be in here. The only thing that sets us apart as the body of Christ is the presence of God. Let me say it again. The only thing that sets us apart is the presence of God. There are masses of churches where Jesus is not present. There's masses of churches where people are not getting healed and people are not getting delivered. That is why Moses said, Lord, do not leave us. And the Lord's going, why not? He says, because if you leave us, what will distinguish us from the other nations? This was Moses's question. It's not our skinny jeans, our cool lights, our stylish pastor our programs, our coffee shops that make us different from the world. It is the manifest presence of God. Are you feeling that in your church? I've had you message me saying, Isaiah, I felt God more in your live streams than I felt 30 years in my church. We need to create churches that host the presence of God. Now, it's not just that you have to feel it because some of you might not feel it, but if you're not feeling it, there at least has to be evidence. There at least has to be evidence that people are getting healed. There has to be evidence people are getting changed. There has to be evidence people are getting delivered. There has to be evidence people are turning their lives around. 
I'm talking about pastors that say, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. You're sick? Okay, right now, come to the altar. We're going to lay hands on you. We're not going to pray for five minutes. We are going to contend and we are going to cry out and we are going to host the presence of God. The Lord does not want to be managed. He wants to be hosted. He's not looking for a church that would manage his presence. He's not looking for believers that would manage his presence. He's saying, who is willing to host me? Why is our churches telling God how to move? Some of y'all are freaking out because you're saying, wait a minute, this is a preacher and a pastor that's saying this. I'm telling you, prophets are going to rise up that are not afraid to call out the compromise in the body of Christ. Why are we telling God how to move? This girl is 18 years with her sickness and it's not preventing her from stop from coming to the house of the Lord. Stop letting what you're going through prevent you from coming to the Lord. I love that although she's crippled and oppressed by demons, she says, I'm going to keep coming to the live streams. I'm going to keep showing up to the prayer meetings. I'm going to keep showing up to my church. Don't let your affliction stop you from coming to the house of God because you never know what night Jesus might change everything. From You got to understand when I come in here and I'm live streaming, I'm saying, Lord, what if tonight is the night? I know it's buffering. The internet just cut out, but we're back on. Well, I said tonight, Lord, what if tonight is the night you break through? What if tonight is the night you heal that person? I know that my marriage is going through it, but I'm just going to keep coming anyway. I know that I've lost a loved one. Come on, who am I preaching to tonight? But I'm just going to keep coming anyway. I know that I'm dealing with depression and I'm dealing with anger, but I'm just going to keep coming anyway. I know that I just lost my job, but I'm going to keep showing up. I know that my kids are going crazy out in the world, but I'm going to keep coming. The devil wants to discourage you from showing up. He wants you to stop because you're affliction. But this lady said, even though I'm hunched over and even though I can barely walk, even though my spine is twisted, I'm still going to find a way to get in the house of the Lord. Let me ask you tonight, what is your excuse? Why you're not consistent coming to the house of the Lord? Why are you so flaky? Why are you so back and forth? Why are, I'm telling you, you're not going to get delivered sitting around browsing on Facebook. You're not going to get healed sitting at home all the time. You're not going to get breakthrough at the friend's house or the family's house. You need to get to the prayer meeting. You need to get to the live stream. You need to get to the house of God. You need to get where God is moving and say, God, I need to be in your presence wherever your presence is. If you're delivering people, if you're healing people, then I need to be there. This girl for 18 years, was bent over and could not stand up straight and was not able to focus on the future, only able to focus on the now. This is what the evil spirits want to do to you. This is what the demons inside the church are trying to do to us. They're trying to get us to not look forward at the future. They only want us to focus on the now. Some of you have been so depressed. You've been writing me saying, Isaiah, I'm having anxiety attacks because of coronavirus. I'm having anxiety attacks because of the riots. And I'm telling you to take your eyes off of the now and focus on what's to come. There is a great revival, I believe, that is coming. There is a great move of God that is coming. It's time to look forward. It's time to look forward on Judgment Day. It's time to look forward on the promises God has for you. You might be struggling now because you're always looking down. You're always focused on the now. You don't live your life in light of eternity. We need to live our lives in light of eternity, not in light of our retirement plan. We can't live our lives just for the next 20 years 
years. We need to live our lives for the next 150 years and say, Lord, I'm not living with my head down. I'm not living with my head buried in the sand. I'm living for eternity. I'm living for my future. God has anointed me to look forward. God has anointed me to, to be called and to be assigned. She's always looking down, always looking at the dirt. Understand that in those days, they didn't have cement. They didn't have pavement. So she would walk to the house of God and she, and they didn't have cars by the way. And she had to look at the dirt the entire time. She had to look at the dirt, always seeing the bad, always seeing the negative, always focused on what's not happening instead of what is happening. Come on. Some of y'all know exactly that type of believer. You're always focused on what's bad. I don't like this. And why are they doing that? And why does he have to do this? And why does he have to do that? And you're always complaining, not just always focusing on the bad that's happening, but you're always looking down on people. You're always looking down while this person doesn't deserve the grace of God. And this person doesn't deserve God to move. And this person doesn't deserve to be a preacher. And Isaiah, I don't know how he has so many viewers. Some of you pastors looking down at me. He doesn't deserve that. He's too crazy. Who's too radical? He's too this or who's too that. I'll tell you why, because I'm looking up. I refuse to look down on other people. I know you're struggling, but I'm telling you, it's time to look up. It's time to not tell those demons. You're not going to make me crippled any longer. You're not going to make me have my head down any longer. The enemy wants you to keep your head down and focus on the negative. She couldn't see the sky because she was focused on the negative. I'm telling you, I remember the first time I was able to see the sky for the first time when I was born again. That's why the Bible says, I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. There is something about lifting your head up. There is something about looking up. There is strength when you look up. There is hope when you look up. He is your present help in the time of trouble. You have to understand God is saying, look up tonight. I remember being years bent over and I'm glad tonight I'm able to look up. I believe tonight is the night that some of you are going to look up for the first time. It's time to look up. It's time to stop walking around with your head down. It's time to stop walking around stuck in that rut of the now. It's time to stop walking around looking at the past of what happened to you. I'm not worried about what happened to me. I'm worried about what's going to happen to me. When God begins to use me, begins to anoint me and begins to mandate me, get your head out of the dirt, get your head off the ground. It's time for you to look up. I'm telling you right now, God wants to straighten something else, something up in your life. God wants to straighten up your back. He wants to straighten up your kids. He wants to straighten up your marriage. He wants to straighten up your thought life. He wants to straighten up your finances. Come on, who am I preaching to up in this place tonight? He wants to straighten up your desire to know him. He wants to straighten up your passion for his word. I don't know about you, but tonight I'm ready for God to straighten in me out. Some of you are all twisted in your theology. You're all twisted in your beliefs. You're all twisted up in your marriage, in your mindset of what you believe this or that. And the Lord is saying, I'm getting ready to straighten somebody up tonight. I'm getting ready to do what only I can do. Some of you are bent tonight over because you're carrying what God called you to carry. I'm telling you, these are demonic spirits in the church. Pastors and leaders, hear me loud and clear. It's time to stop being pansy 
pansies and to start being generals. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Pastors, it's time to get the pacifier out of your mouth and say, I am not running a glorified daycare center. I am running an army. I am running some Navy SEALs. I'm training up some special end time warriors that are going to lay hands on the sick and drive out demons. Is there demons in my church? Oh yeah, all over the place. But you know what? We're going to fight them now. The enemy has come behind our territory. The enemy has gotten in our camp and it's time as the body of Christ. We say, devil, you're not going to bend my people over. You're not going to constrict my people. My people will not look down. They will look forward. Some of you pastors, you need vision. You need to say, this is where we're going as a church. We are moving into revival. Let me tell you about some a couple churches that I preached at that have experienced revival. Every single one of them have looked at their church and said, this is where we're going. We are not going back to nursery Christianity. We are going forward into revival. And some of you need to go forward into the move of God. You need to stop worrying about the move of God from 20 years ago. You need to stop living in what's happening now and say something is coming and I am getting ready. I'm tired of this weight that's pushing me down. If I put 300 pounds on your back, you'd be hunched over. I wonder why you're bent over. It's the weight that you're carrying. You need to stop carrying all that weight and the Lord is saying tonight, give me your weight. The ministry is God's weight. Your job, it belongs to God. Your finances are God's weight. Your sickness is God's weight. Your trials are God's weight. Let the Lord carry the weight. Let the Lord do it for you. Stop letting the distractions of life, we're going there, Stop letting the distractions of life hunt you over. Think about our position, okay? I'm going to preach to myself right here. Think about how we spend the most of our time. Think about it right now. How do you spend the majority of your day? Like this. Well, I'm zoomed in so I can't. This is how we spend our day. Hunched over. Hunched over on our cell phones. Hunched over on Facebook. Hunched over on Instagram. And let me tell you, and I'm preaching to myself right now, there are some of you that are missing out. Listen to me loud and clear. Do not click off. Share the stream. Listen to me loud and clear. There are some of you that are missing out on what God has for you because you're spending your time looking down, letting the enemy hunt you over. There are some of you missing out on memories and things of your kids, of your marriage, of your family because you're hunched over. Some of you write me saying, Isaiah, why didn't you respond to my message? Let me tell you why. If I responded to every message, I would live my entire life. And I already spend way too much time on my cell phone when I'm out out of my office. I would spend way too much time sitting down. It would take me hours. The couple hours I have a day to spend time with my family, I would be trying to write you and message you back. But I have to make a choice. It's time to look up. I don't want to spend my whole... I, I hate what our generation has become. A bunch of zombies. This is why guys we need a generation that's going to look up because we have an entire generation that is not building memories and you could go ahead and tweet this we need our generation to begin to build memories and begin to make memories and not make Instagram videos we need a generation that's going to begin to make memories I look back on my childhood both my parents are in the chat right now and I look back on my childhood and I say man I have so many memories of being out in the backyard of riding my dirt bike of having horses of having a farm of being in my property of playing with my cousins of swimming I have all these memories and we're raising up a generation that doesn't have memories I want my kids to have memories this is why we have to be intentional to take our kids outside you guys think oh well, I thought you're gonna be spiritual this is spiritual this is what the devil's 
trying to do. He's trying to hunch the church over so that we don't make long-lasting godly memories. I don't want my children's memories. Now, listen, my kids have iPads. I get it. It's 105 outside. You're sitting at home. Let them watch your iPad. Praise the Lord. But I don't want their only memories. When people say, how was your child? They say, oh, I just sat on my iPad all day and my mom and dad lived at work and never spent time with me and never talked to me. I want memories to be made. I'm telling you, it's time to go outside. It's time to do something with the calling and the anointing that God has given us. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the woman, I know we're about an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes in. Don't worry, guys. We're going for it. We're not going to take much longer here. But when Jesus saw the woman, the Bible says that he called her over to the middle of the room. This is what you need to understand. As I was studying this story, this is what you need to understand about women in the Bible. The women in the synagogue were not allowed to sit in the middle of the room or in the main parts of the room. They had to sit on the outer skirts of the room or the very back of the room. That is why the woman with the issue of blood had to come from the side of the room and she had to come and anoint Jesus. You have to understand these were outsiders. Women were not allowed to do everything that men were able to do. So this woman was sitting with her back against the wall on the outside of the room and Jesus calls her but does not just call her to himself. This is a prophetic picture of Jesus saying, woman, I'm calling you off of the sidelines. I'm calling you out of the back. And I'm telling you right now, some of you need to come off the sidelines. There has been you, you've been on the sidelines years of not engaging, years of not worshiping, years of not being next to Jesus, years of not joining in with what God is doing. And the Lord is calling you out of the sidelines. I'm in Luke chapter 13. The Lord is calling you out of the sidelines and saying, I want you to be right with me where I am. I want to heal you. I want to deliver you. I want to save you. Understand women were not allowed to participate. They were only allowed to be spectators. And some of you are only spectators, but Jesus is calling you to be a participator. It's time to stop watching everybody else serve the Lord. It's time to stop watching everybody else get involved. It's time to stop watching everybody else get excited, thinking you can just hide in the back and you can hide on the sidelines. Jesus says, you're the one I want to deliver tonight. You're the one that I want to heal tonight. Zacchaeus, come down from there. I don't want you spectating. Friend, I want to tell you January 12th of 2011, I was sitting in the very back of the room and the Lord called me to the center of the room and said, Isaiah, you're no longer going to be a religious spectator, but I'm going to bring you to the front of the room. I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to put a mandate on you. I'm going to put a mantle on you. I need someone to take a moment and remember where they were when God brought them from the back of the room. I need someone to remember where they were when God called them off of the sidelines. Do you remember when he called your number? Some of you right now, God is calling you back to the center. He's calling you back to your first love. He's calling you back into his fire. He's calling you back into his presence. Here's what I love about Jesus in the synagogue. He looked past all those who outwardly had it all together. See, although they looked good on the outside, they were dead on the inside. He looked past the crowd of religious people and some of you, he keeps looking past you because the mask that you have on but some of you are still twisted and tonight the Lord says, I'm getting ready to straighten you out. Lord, stop overlooking me. Stop passing me by. I need your presence and I need your anointing. I'm answering the call 
call tonight. I'm answering your assignment tonight. I love this because many times, let me teach you this, when Jesus did a miracle, he would say, do you want to be made whole? Many times when Jesus did a miracle, he said, do you have the faith to believe? Many times when Jesus did a miracle, he said, pick up your mat, or he would spit in the mud, or he would spit and put it in their eyes, or he would put it in their ear and do a bunch of different things. But this question, right? I mean, this miracle right here, you have a demon possessed, a lady that's afflicted by evil spirits, a lady that's demonized by the devil in the church, and Jesus didn't even ask her if she wanted to be healed. He did what I like to call a no questions asked miracle. The Bible says he looked at that woman, called her up, and said, dear woman, you are healed. He didn't ask her if she had faith. Oh, somebody needs to help me up in this chat tonight. He didn't ask her if she wanted a miracle. He didn't ask her if she believed. He didn't ask her if she would serve him. He said, I'm about to do a no questions asked miracle. I'm telling you, there are times, and I'm going to go ahead and preach to myself since y'all aren't helping me out. There are times where we don't have the faith. There are times where we don't believe for the miracle. There's times where we don't know what's going on. There are times where we don't understand what's happening in our family. There's times where we don't understand what's happening in our life. There's times where we don't know what's going on, where we, when we are sick in body, when we don't have the faith, and God says, I see that you're hurt, and I'm getting ready because you don't have the faith to believe. I'm getting ready to do a no questions asked miracle. I don't know about you, but I need a no questions asked miracle in my family. I need a no questions asked miracle in my finances. I need a no questions asked miracle in my prayer life. I need a no questions asked miracle in America and in my city and in my job. I'm telling you right now, you can't earn the grace of God. True grace says, I'm going to do it. No questions asked. Isaiah, you're not educated. You're not skilled. I'm not even going to ask you about that. I'm going to anoint you with no questions asked. I'm going to promote you no questions asked. The Bible says he touched her and instantly she could stand up straight. I'm telling you, God is the only one that could instantly, oh, come on, Holy Ghost. He's the only one that could instantly straighten up your life. Your life has been all messed up. You got 10 DUIs. You've wrecked your life. You got a felony on your record and your life is messed up. But the Lord says, I'm going to touch you and instantly I'm going to straighten you out. It might be a process for some and I'm okay with that, but I believe tonight is a night of instantly. Instantly deliver you tonight from addiction. Instantly. Come on, guys. Come on, ladies. Help me out. I believe tonight instant deliverance from lust. Instant deliverance from cursing. Instant deliverance from vaping. Come on. Instant deliverance from drinking. He wants instantly to let you stand up straight. And some of y'all don't have time. Listen. Some of y'all, you don't have time for a five-year process. Some of you don't have time for a 10-year process. The Lord is saying, I am a God that is going to do it instantly. I'm going to do it right here. I'm going to do it right now. You don't have to wait any longer. I'm getting ready to do it right now. I remember when God instantly healed me. Guys, listen, if you didn't know, every other word was the F word. I had an incredibly dirty mouth. I cussed all the time. I had this addiction. I had that addiction. But I'm telling you right now, there is nothing like the touch of God. I remember the moment that he first touched me and there is nothing like it and I got instantly delivered from everything. I got instantly delivered from all of my addiction, all of my dysfunction. If there's somebody that's gone instantly delivered, let me know. Come on, instant miracle. Go ahead and hashtag it, instant miracle. I'm telling you tonight is the night of a no questions asked 
instant miracle. You're not going to have to walk this thing out like the 10 lepers. You're not going to have to show yourself to the priest like the blind guy. You're not going to have to pick up your mat, but God says, I'm calling you off the sidelines and that devil that's been oppressing you in the church, that demon that's been twisting up your theology and twisting up. Some of you pastors don't believe it because your theology is twisted and God says, just like her back was twisted by that spirit, the devil's twisted you up, but tonight I'm going to straighten you out. I had some pastors write me after my 40 question Q&A I just did and they said, Isaiah, this straightened me out. I had some bad theology. I had some bad teachings and I had pastors from all over writing me saying some stuff that I thought wrong was straightened out. The devil wants to twist things up, but it's time to get straightened out. Let me, let me get ready to close here. Here's what the Bible says. Oh, how she praised God. And the Bible puts an exclamation point on how she praised God. What is the exclamation point for? It denotes extravagant praise An exclamation point praise. The writer is saying this, you should have seen how she prays when she got delivered from you have to understand that's why we praise this way some of you don't understand why my shout and my praise and my worship is so extravagant but if you only knew the demons that are influencing me for years and now I'm able to praise here's the response to her miracle how do we respond when God delivers and saves us it's called ridiculous praise it's called exclamation point worship worship in the Hebrew when they wanted to emphasize something they would write it two times but in our language the way that we denote emphasis is through exclamation points I look at some of you the way God has lifted you up straightened you out and healed you given you a hope and a future and I don't see an exclamation point praise on the inside of you I'm wondering where is your exclamation point praise I want an exclamation point passion I want an exclamation point praise do you have that type of passion? Do you have that type of praise? Here's what the writer was saying. You should have seen the way that she prays. I don't know about you, but I wish I could have been there the day in that synagogue when she when she got delivered after 18 years of playing religion. I wish I could have been there and saw the passion that she had when her back began to straighten out. I wish I could have saw the passion she had when she began to praise. This is why we praise this way if you didn't know that that we were once hunched over. We once were only able to see the dirt. We once were only able to see the present. We couldn't see the future. We didn't have a future, but now she can praise. Now for the first time, she can do what she never was able to do before. She was unable to praise because she had a hunched over back. She was unable to praise because the condition that she was in. And that's why some of you have no praise tonight because the condition that you're in, but but God is going to straighten you out and give you a praise and give you a worship and give you a shout so that you can praise him the way you are called to praise him. Understand that when she got healed, the religious leaders begin to get mad. You better believe that when you begin to cast out devils, you better believe that when you get healed, you better believe that when you get delivered, the haters are going to crawl out of every little hole. But be glad about the haters because here's what the haters do. The Bible says 
in the presence of your enemies, I'm going to set up a table. Every time your haters show up, every time the haters try to stop you, every time the haters try to talk bad about you, God says this would be a great place to have lunch. I'm going to prepare dinner in the presence of your haters. Don't get mad. The haters are free promotion. I thank God for all my haters that are posting about me. It is free publicity. It is free advertisement. There is always going to be a naysayer. There is always going to be negative people when you try to plant a church. Come on, help me. There's always going to be people that are angry. Oh, hear me tonight. Angry about what God is doing in your life. They are mad that you don't party with them anymore. They are mad that you don't drink with them anymore. They are mad that you don't live like them anymore. Now, I could understand that your old friends might be mad when somebody gets delivered, healed, or you get saved, but understand this. This was the pastor that was mad. This was a man of God that was upset that Jesus was breaking these demonic powers off of her life. Have you ever, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Come on, y'all. Let me know what's going on tonight. Have you ever had a religious person be mad at you because of the extravagant miracle that God has done in your life? Have you ever had a religious person persecute you because of the, how strong and how serious God has delivered you? You got to know how many religious people were mad when I got saved. You should know the religious people were mad when we started the awakening, but you have to understand that it does not matter what religion says. It matters what God says because religion wants you to stay the same. See, your miracle is damaging to religion because religion doesn't like change. Religion does not want you to change. Religion does not want you to be excited. Religion does not want you to heal the sick. And I know I'm making a lot of religious pastors mad tonight. It's okay. Religion does not want you to heal the sick. It does not want you to cast out demons. It does not want you to have prayer meetings in your living room. It does not want you to be passionate about the move of God. Religion wants to keep everything the same. It wants you to do the same thing for years and years and years. And some of you were in church for years and did the same thing. You sat in the same chair. You parked in the same spot. You talked to the same people. You went to the same restaurant over. And that is what religion does. It never likes to change. Religion says, don't make me uncomfortable. Religion says, don't upset me. Religion says, don't challenge me. Religion says, don't convict me. Religion says, don't mess up my routine. But I came to tell somebody that Jesus came to break religion. Jesus came to break your box. Don't let religion twist you up. Don't let religion bend you over. Don't let religion and unbelief hold you back. They wanted her to come another day. Let me tell you why. Because they didn't want Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. But you have to understand the very purpose of the church is to do miracle signs and wonders now. What do you mean come another day? I'm not going to wait. Oh, we'll just wait until we have our healing conference. Just wait until next year when we have our deliverance conference. Just wait to get baptized when we have our every five months baptism. Oh, just wait until getting filled with the Holy Spirit for our camp meeting. Oh, this sounds like the American church. Oh, just wait for this event or wait for that event. But understand, isn't this the very reason why we even go to church is to be changed? is to be straightened out, is to be delivered and have breakthrough in our lives. This man that was mad at Jesus forgot the very purpose of the house of God. The purpose of the house of God was for people to encounter God and be changed by God's presence. I'm not going to come another day. Well, why? Because don't you think 18 years is long enough to be demonized? Why would you want to make this lady wait any longer? Jesus says, no, no, no. She's been bound long enough and 
and I came to let every demonic spirit know, no, no, no. These people in this stream have been bound long enough. Enough is enough. I'm not waiting any longer. I'm not serving him another day. I'm not going to get saved another day. I'm not going to get healed another day. No, no, no. Today is the day. Now is your moment. Tonight is your night. Don't get mad. People get mad at the supernatural. Pastors hate the supernatural. Let me tell you why so many pastors are mad at the supernatural and they're mad at deliverance and mad at healings and mad when Jesus begins to move because they don't want to deal with the work that is attached to the supernatural. To preach with the fire of God, you actually have to spend time in prayer. To preach with the fire of God, you actually have to study to preach with the fire of God, you actually have to live holy. To preach with the fire of God, you actually have to seek God. To do miracles, you need to contend for it. It's not easy and it's not cheap. And pastors and leaders that want to just play church, that don't want God for real, that don't want to put the work in, that don't want to put the effort in, that don't know, I don't know if we should be doing that or doing that. It takes time and it takes effort. And it's time to break out of lazy leadership and say, now's the time for a move of the the Holy Spirit. Jesus called them hypocrites and says, what is wrong with you guys? I mean, you even take your animals out on the Sabbath. In other words, are your animals more important than this lady that she shouldn't be released on the Sabbath? Jesus says, isn't it right that she's released today? Isn't it right that she gets delivered? It's right tonight that you get healed and delivered. It's right tonight that God saves you and anoints you and empowers you. I love this because Jesus says, you untie your donkey on the Sabbath, but you're mad that I've untied this woman that was wrapped up by the bondage of Satan. In other words, you treat your animals better than you treat the people that are coming for deliverance. Friend, I don't want to treat my animal better than I treat new believers. Some of you will let your dog, I preached on this before, so I got to be careful because some of y'all are going to get mad here, but some of you will let your dog lick you on the face and sleep in your bed and use the restroom on your carpet, but then you go to church and you see that homeless guy. Oh, I'm getting ready to drop a conviction bomb right here. You see that homeless guy that nobody wants to sit by who has five chairs around him empty because he smells and you're over there letting your dog lick your mouth and put its tongue in your mouth and let your dog jump on your bed, but you don't want to pray for the homeless guy. You don't want to bring in the homeless guy. You don't want to reach those that are broken, that are hurting, that are dirty. And Jesus says, why do you treat your animals better than you treat this lady? And I'm telling you, the time is now to get untied. Jesus says, I'm getting ready to untie you tonight. The Bible says, and I'll close with this daughter of Abraham. This is the only time in the Bible Jesus ever said daughter of Abraham because understand she was part of God's family and God wanted to heal his family. Understand this, that God wants to heal you tonight because you are his family. The same way that we want our family healed, Jesus says, I want my family healed. Friend, I want to tell you, an hour and a half in. He wants to deliver you so bad. He wants to heal you so bad. He wants to untie you so bad. He wants to break that demonic spirit that's influencing you so bad. Tonight is your night. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.